Oh, also, this is going to be the first episode where I'm going to use the um, that song that you made. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally just, like, took the drum, the, the percussion VST or whatever, and then just put my hand in the shape of, like, kind of like a basic one three five chord, and then just went click, 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 in a semi-rhythmic way, and I was like, hey, this could be music. <laughs> Literally, no, okay, like, I listened to it, like, three times, and by, like, surprisingly early on, by, like, the fourth or fifth time that I listened to it, I, like, knew how it went. Like, I could, like, I, it was, like, predictable to me. Like, I, I would it's be, like... It's not random. It's not, like, random sounds. It is rhythmic. Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely follows a rhythm, but it was, like, I think there's three different sounds, and I would, like, know which one was coming, and I was, like, oh, God. Like, how did this, how did this infiltrate my mind within, like, two minutes? Hell, yeah. That's so funny. Hey, Oomphies, welcome to Oomphcast, the podcast where I, Quasi Matt, talk to my oomphs. And today we're here with Sean Bay. What's going on? Hey, man. <laughs> so this is like the, what, second or third time? No, second, second time that we've yes, tried to record. Second attempt of Oomphcast. We keep flopping because what, what, yeah. I mean, we tried to record at 5 a.m. and you were like basically it was, dead. It was too low tea for me. I was way too low tea. <laughs> Wait, is that real? Is there a cycle of tea throughout the day? Um, Tea cycle. I'm Googling it. I feel like it's real. I feel like that's got to be real. Like, I don't know where testosterone, like, chills in your body, but I feel like it gets unleashed at certain periods. Yeah, and it's definitely not at four in the morning. As an endocrinologist. Um, this is too much effort to research, but I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that it, I was I was having a low-team moment. Yeah, I mean, it was literally 5 a.m. for you. I mean, you offered 5 a.m., though, so that's why we ended up there. But we talked about a whole bunch of stuff, so if this sounds really rote, <laughs> that's because we've talked about it before. Um, but I think like the main things that we talked about before were theology and religion. And then we talked about like kind of your visual communication, artistic world life and new topic this time is going to be metaphysics. So I'm excited to talk about the intersection of metaphysics and art because we were like tweeting back and forth about that. So let's just start with like background information on kind of like your art career. Sure. I think, I think we were talking about we talked a lot about religion and stuff. I wanted to say because I, the Isaac Van Zan, Zam, Isaac Van Dam Zam, or whatever his episode came. <laughs> Isaac out. Van de Zandy, yeah, yeah. His episode came out, and your guys's experience in Christian school was like so uncannily similar to mine. It was crazy. oh yeah, because okay. people always assume that because I'm from California, like everyone there is woke, and it's like no, there's a whole massive group of people that get their identity from being the conservatives in the liberal hellhole of California. So like those people congregate very easily and i was in that congregation love that i but, feel um, like yeah sorry go yeah i mean we let's let's do that at the end let's do the religion cool. yeah <laughs> cool um i guess like i don't remember exactly what your question was regarding my just like give us like stuff, a career I'll just start, intro I'll just actually yeah. I'll, just, I'll just like present it i'll just present it like a story so when i was in um so as a kid, I used to always play with tape. Like tape was my favorite thing. Um, I I love Scotch tape. I love to tape two things together. Like I would tear through Scotch tape, um, and 
I just like I must have been drawn to the idea of turning two things into one thing or you know turning raw materials into something else mm-hmm. and I, I was always really really encouraged to to like be creative um I, I really liked Lego and so that you know according to like every parent that means you're going to become an engineer when you grow up which is so funny because the <laughs> that's the qualification you like learn physics by um, playing with Legos yeah, yeah like yeah, a STEM yeah. expert um so anyways, I did that and, you know, in elementary school, I would kind of like draw at recess or whatever. Um, but I actually wasn't what I would consider like that, like artsy, I guess it, I, because by the time high school came around, I was way too concerned with like being involved in like youth group activities and being involved in church and ministry stuff to, um, consider myself someone that would, um, call themselves artistic as like an identifier um it was actually also there's actually a whole a whole side thing about how the specific brand of masculinity that a lot of my peers um exhibited was really like hostile towards um creative expression and stuff like that but um we'll talk about we could talk about that later yeah that's interesting we'll return to that but but um all that, all that being said by the time that i ended up finishing high school and then sort of sort of wading through community college with no sort of vision or any type of any type of like plan total purgatory total hell um there was like a little bit of a spark that was i took this class essentially like the bare bare bones basic stuff of adobe illustrator um which sent me on with that just like helped that just like sent me on my way like to googling how to do this or that and learning Mm -hmm this program um i remember in middle school and stuff asking like my my youth pastor who was also kind of like a part-time graphic designer he's now a full-time graphic designer in oregon but um he sucks too by the way but (laughs) (laughs) actually he's had to throw that in he'll never he'll never never hear this so i think he blocked me on twitter one time oh did you have wait did you have drama with him yeah he was essentially I, i tweeted like what happened was i tweeted the goat emoji like a bunch of times and then tweeted it way past the character limit so that it said 420. And then I screenshotted that and posted it. And then he was like, keep this crap off of my newsfeed. And I was like, or keep this crap off my timeline or something. I was like, dude, you could just block me or unfollow me. Like, what's wrong with you? But then I sent it to all my friends being like, hey, harass this guy. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, that's so weird. Like, the goat emoji a bunch of times over and over until it says 420. Like, how is that the most offensive thing? Like, how can you not follow someone that tweets it's that? It's literally just like, a how do you post. exist he on Twitter? Ha- he must be so, he must be like so isolated against like shit posting. Yeah. Like, you can only tweet the Lord's Prayer or what? Like, what kind of, what type like, of content well, do you he want? Well, he's, he's a graphic designer. So he's probably in like uber serious graphic design Twitter, which is kill me. It's the worst. I've oh, yeah. And any serious um, career Twitter realm is terrifying. Total hell. So, anyways. I um, I take this class intro to intro to computer graphics, and it's actually like, oh, oh my gosh, I really enjoy being able to render things like this on the computer. And time, you know, I end up going to Montana to help out at a church doing creative stuff, and I went up there, told them that I knew a bunch of stuff about like making things, but it was a total lie. And so I had to <laughs> learn like I had to learn like how to do all this stuff like how to use Photoshop, how to use Premiere, how to do video editing, how to do photography, how to do all this other stuff. And I did learn it really quick, which was really awesome. So then I came back from Montana and I actually started at church with my old youth pastor, different guy. Um, not, not like a, not an asshole, different guy. We started a church together. And by the time that that 
by the time that that had started, which was we, I went back a year before we started the church, and then we built the church. Basically, we did all the stuff we had got to do. We got location. We got equipment. We got, you know, people. Wait, did you actually build a physical church? No, like, no, 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 no. You just we used didn't an actually space. build a space. So we just build it metaphorically. Right. Right. Okay. Um. So I do all that. And I'm essentially like in charge of all the creative there and all the music and stuff like that, which at the time that was the pinnacle of my dream, actually, because I, I starting in high school, I really wanted to do like ministry stuff. Um, and but then like I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a lie. Like I I actually am super I'm actually super like offended by a lot of the ways that the non-denominational Protestant, whatever, blah, 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 blah put as many adjectives as you want in front of it. Church. Um, the way that it uh, harnesses the exact same methods and mythology of capital in order to grow. And also, I don't believe in God the same way as everyone else here. I just know it, which that could be total hubris. I could just be a normal person who, like, you know, had some questions or some doubts here or there and thought that it made me special, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, I get in touch with. I'm, I, I at the time I, I asked I asked for a video camera for Christmas, and I got a Canon 5D. Um, no, not a 5D. Excuse me. I got a Canon 70D, um, and I made a YouTube video. And at the time, this guy had followed me on Twitter, who I really loved his videos. His name is Satchel. We're still friends, but he he moved to Lancaster. He's like living the life. He's uh, he he moved out of the city. It's so sick. Um, Wait, what is La- but what is Lancaster? Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay, yeah. I've actually been there. Okay, I love that. Nice. I think but there's anyways, a bunch of Amish people he lives there. In, he, lived in, he lived in the New York metropolitan area. And I was like, hey, man, um, what do you think of this video? And then he actually was like, it's super good, blah, 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 blah. And he wrote this huge paragraph about it. And I was like, oh, sick, tight, tight. So then later on, I, you know, some time passes again. And I'm like kind of disillusioned with the whole church thing. Mm-hmm. And I am, um, I'm also working. So the church thing wasn't paid. That was all volunteer. So I'm working at a um, toll booth, like in a parking garage, which is the best job ever if you're trying to get out of your life because you have nothing to do but just sit and think about how to get out. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like you kind of do nothing. Cause, like how often do yeah, people actually it, come through? I'm like, those are the sickest jobs. I would always encourage anyone to do one of those type of jobs where it's like this, it's, it has, it requires no mental effort. Like try to find that <laughs> and go to community college at the same time and you'll, you will figure out your life. But anyways, um, I uh, am working at the tool booth and I'm, I you know, send him a DM or something. I'm like, hey, man, do you guys have like internships at your job? Because he's a senior designer at this some firm somewhere and actually in New Jersey, not even in New York. And he's like, yeah. Um, and I was like, what do you what does it take to apply? And he was just like, just tell me you want to do it and we'll just we'll just do it. And I was like, oh, OK. So, you know, some time passes and I'm thinking like, oh, man, how do I do that? Because it. It wouldn't be a paid thing or anything like that. Okay, yeah, I was going to say it sounds so, like, noncommittal that I can't imagine he would be willing to pay you without an interview or anything. Right, right, right. So, obviously, it was not paid. It was it was just kind of, like, come hang out and learn how to use – I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what the internship would have been. Mm-hmm. But because it wasn't paid, I was kind of, like, trying to figure out, oh, man, New York's expensive. How do I live there? Blah, blah, blah. And he's, like, you know, some time passes, and I'm, like, I, I re-inquire and he's like, oh, you know, I, I thought that I didn't think you were actually interested. So it's not really a thing. And I was like, dang, well, okay. But at the same, at the time, 
but I didn't at the time I didn't tell anyone that the internship thing was uh, was gone. I just moved here anyways. So I um kind of moved here under the guise that I was like doing an internship, but in reality, I'd given myself about twenty five. I had twenty five hundred dollars, which is the most money I'd ever saved, and I figured. I calculated it all out based on the sublet that I was doing and stuff like that. It was like, I can live in New York for six weeks. If six weeks passes and I don't have a job, I will either become homeless in New York or I will (laughs) beg my parents for money to like send me back to California and I'll try something else. And, um, so I spend, I spend six weeks applying to jobs every day. And, um, a long story short, on the six-week anniversary of me moving to New York was my first day at the job, at my first graphic design job. It was a, like a startup, and it was a, it was a startup that was like a faith, a, like a Christian-associated company, and like I had gone to the same church as the people that went there because I – so that's, that, that's another story. But um, I ended up getting my first job ever in graphic design, um, which was so crazy. I remember like – I remember getting that interview and the interviewer going so good and them being so excited about me and stuff because it's a startup. So there's no pretense. There was only like six people working there. So they're like, it's like a mom and pop store. They're like, yes. Oh my gosh. Come work for us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm calling. I'm, I'm like, I, I still remember that. I, I, it's so crazy. I remember that day. Like I was wearing this button up shirt that was like, I, I always remember I look really good in this shirt and it was always kind of like a, a, like a hilarious thing to me because I owned that shirt since middle school. So for some reason, this one shirt still fit me since I was like 14 years old and it made me feel so good that like my body hadn't totally atrophied away and that I could still wear <laughs> the shirt. So I was wearing that shirt and like skinny black pants and those Doc Martens shoes that are kind of shoes, but also kind of boots, they're canvas or something, um, oh, yeah. but they don't have a thick sole. I was wearing that and I'm in Madison Square Park and I'm calling my mom and I'm like, mom, I just got a job. And she's like, whoa, that, like no one expected. She was like totally not <laughs> expecting it to actually work out for you. She was like, oh, what the yeah, hell? I'm I thought like, you were going to move back from, home. <laughs> I'm like, mom, I just went from making like, I went from making like $11 an hour at the toll booth to making like $75,000 a year. And like. Wait, you got paid 75000 so, for graphic design? Damn. Yeah, that's pretty normal, especially at a startup. Oh, okay. I feel like. I always heard of people doing graphic design for like a lot less than that, but I, I mean, not yeah, in New it York. was kind of like a, it was kind of like a mid-level position and they were a startup. So they had more flexibility with, with money and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, then I worked there for a little bit at, at some point it started to become horrible for me. Like I just hated going in and I felt like my time was kind of like getting, getting a little bit, I wasn't doing the most with my time and Dude. I was sort of discovering like, I don't really like graphic design as much as I like illustration and drawing specifically. I just like to draw and I was doing a lot less drawing in this job. So then the day before I'm going to go and like, say like, Hey, I think I quit. The boss calls me in and he's like, Hey, actually we're really low on money. So everyone's going to become part-time now and work from home remotely. So essentially the, so essentially that worked out so away. well. Wait, so then you stayed then, Again, right? Incredible. <laughs> yeah. What the so, hell? So, um, but that still left me with, oh shoot, like, uh, I'm, I'm unemployed again. So then I just became a freelance illustrator. I was like, you know what? I'm going to spend a week. I'm going to just draw a bunch, put together a portfolio that, that sort of looks like that boring style that everyone wants. Yeah. Commercially viable. Yeah. And so then I just did that. And then eventually like someone said, Hey, can you make these? illustrations animations and i was like yeah totally which was a lie but i had already lied about my skill in the past so i knew that i could just it's literally the, the norm like yeah yeah <laughs> i knew i could just pick up the slack and so then i learned after effects 
and then I and I learned After Effects while working at the Wall Street Journal doing animations for their video team. And then um, I just I did that for a little bit, saved some money. And then the Wall Street Journal was so boring and horrible. And I was like, dang, is this going to be my life? Wait, did you have Going a contract at one? Wall Street Journal? Like, was it temporary no, was, or you were I actually... I was a freelancer. I was a, free... I was a permalancer. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. not, it wasn't like that you were on a salary there. It was like... No, they offered me one, but I said... They offered me one, but I said, no, I'm going to continue being a freelancer. Oh, okay. Um, and I was sitting there. I had finally... I'd, I hadn't taken a break in like a year or longer. Like, I worked... I you know n- never taking more than a weekend off in like a year or longer, and I'm sitting there with, I'm sitting there with my dad, um, Christmas of twenty, I guess seventeen or eighteen, we're watching Samurai Jack. I got him the Blu-rays for Christmas. He, we love that show, and I'm like, oh my god, this is what I want to do. Like I want to create, like I want to create visual narrative fiction, and so then I'm like, okay, so this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do it like I've done everything else. I'm gonna make a short film. I'm going to like teach myself animation by making a film and then I'm going to like continue. And then I'm like, Oh, wait a second. That's the thing that I've done my entire life is just self teach myself. Everything. I self taught myself music. I self taught myself like all this graphic design shit. I self taught myself like all this camera, you know, whatever bull, bull, whatever. And it's like, I constantly, constantly, constantly feel like I'm having to like cover for my own, like gaps in my knowledge and and things like that and i just want to have like a more technical conceptual like framework for which i can hang my ideas on that's going to be like less about faking it and lying and more about having actual knowledge and so then i was like well i'm gonna go back to school and the second i told my parents that my i i'm very certain my dad started crying because like they were so (laughs) they were so kind of like against me dropping out of school for the second time to move to new york the first time i dropped out of school i went to montana and then the second time i went to new york and they were like can you just finish school and i'm like no i they're wasting because my my current the school that i was at when i dropped out when i dropped out and moved to new york sucked so bad it was so horrible like literally the first day of class i was talking to my professor about my aspirations in the world of design and i was saying like yeah i would love to do xyz and then do xyz thing on the side and he was kind of like Basically, like, I remember when I wanted to do that and you won't do it. <laughs> and so, oh my God, just, a de- just, a defeated, just a defeated man. A horrible, what a horrible attitude for a professor. Yeah, like, you, it, you like, shouldn't be teaching if that's your approach. If you believe that your students are going to, like, uh, the greatest thing they'll do is going to be just be mediocre, what's wrong with you, man? So, anyways, um, I had to get out of there. And so, I, but my parents were so enthused to see me want to continue and let's get my degree and stuff like that. So, um, I, that was in, I started school in 2019 and in 2022, I will be finished so a year from now. I will be a graduating senior. Um, I'll be 27 years old and getting my bachelor's, but I went on a crazy, huge, long journey. And my bachelor's to me is so much more valuable because one, I actually like am extremely passionate about the thing that I'm studying. Two, I'm learning a whole lot, and it's really augmenting my practice in, like, a very substantial way. And then three, like, I'm not wasting time. Like, I, I, I 100% see the value of, like, so much that um, I'm learning and that I'm being shown in school from professors and stuff like that. So it's been, like, a very, very rewarding experience for me personally. Um, I'm going into debt, which is sucky. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I just think that my opportunities and my ability to articulate my ideas and my ability to just straight up to conceive of new ideas um, exponentially higher, more than I could, more than I could like even really articulate. So yeah, really I'm actually curious about, I guess, moving from this like scrappy, I'll teach, I'll lie about it and then teach myself thing to university education. Like what exactly was it about being in school that provided you with this like I guess context to conceive of and communicate new ideas like if you had to deconstruction okay what do you mean by that like all my ideas and stuff we start from the very beginning in art school like you're like this is what red does this is what blue does this is what yellow does (laughs) this is what like I'm not joking yeah like like, you you literally learn the color wheel you learning learning color theory and stuff like that. Learning about typography in a, in a way that's like very basic. Learning about drawing and visual representation in general in a way that's very very basic. Um, starting from all my all my ideas and all the things that I had sort of come up with in my head, they were all challenged and almost all of them destroyed. And in in their place has come something that's a lot more informed by like the history of vis- visual communication. And it's a lot more informed by empathy and it's a lot more informed by um, just like a just like, yeah, just like a broader understanding of what our eyes and our brains do. Like I'm really interested in the psychology of of forms. So like what what in your brain what happens in your brain when you look at a red square versus what happens when you look at a blue circle? Like I actually think that there's a difference and in, in like and I actually think that excuse me, that there's like something real that's happening in your brain and that's the kind of stuff that i think is really interesting about visual communication and that's ultimately the kind of thing that makes visual communication compelling it's not like oh you made a cool aesthetic thing like who gives a shit i care so much more about like how people respond to the things that you make and stuff like that like um so that's kind of like a thing now and once school is over it'll be the the next challenge is going to truly be like creating things that people want to see and hopefully like actually starting to like build some type of audience because for the longest time <clears throat> I really did just kind of like want to be low key, like famous on the internet. And I tried a bunch of different stupid things that got, that went nowhere. And it's like such a dumb goal in and of itself. But my goal now t- to build followers or whatever is literally just because like, I don't want to just, I think it's kind of sad and depressing to put so much time and effort into a craft and then no one see the thing you made. Like, yeah that's really sucky that's really sad yeah and i think there's like a massive so there's like a big difference between just like wanting attention and then like making art that you think is good enough that it deserves attention like that is a very i just want i want i want someone to engage with something i make the way that i engage with so many things that i like really love yeah yeah that's it yeah so i guess now that your approach to like what you create is more informed i'm wondering previously like what what was guiding your ideas when you didn't have this like historical context like what was it that would be the basis for an artistic project before your education just like oh this would look cool yeah just total total ethereal like impetus just whims motivation bullshit things that like should not be the thing that are the foundation of like a creative practice like your creative your creative practice should never be about how you feel like i mean it should never be it should never be fueled by how you feel and what you think like how you th- how you feel about like oh I, i'm excited to do this thing you should you shouldn't i think actually at times and you'll have to forgive me because i'm just i'm just i'm just wrapping this off the top of my head i have no idea if i believe this <laughs> you should not um you should not only make things you're excited about because what happens to me so much 
is that I get really excited about an idea and then I look at the blank page and then I'm extremely, extremely depressed about the idea and I hate it before I've even started. And then I get, and then I start it and I'm hating it and I'm hating it more 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 because the thing in my head, it wasn't as fleshed out as the thing in front of me. And so I'm starting to learn now to, instead of letting my brain carry the, instead of letting my brain carry the weight of the creative process, letting my eyes and my hands create it. So as my brain is like, no, this is not it. My brain doesn't actually know what it is because it's too, it's too vague in my brain. Mm -hmm. It's becoming more real and more concrete on the page. And so it's letting the page dictate what comes next, the discovery. And to me, um, at least in this stage, that's not like something that's based on feelings or motivation. It's based literally on just doing the process and seeing what comes and being open to the process, tr literally trust the process. So like, I think that's the difference between now and before. Before it was kind of just about like repeating things that I had seen before that I thought were cool, um, really boring, trendy bullshit. Now it's just about like trusting the process and being informed by like being truly informed, not just like superficially informed being really informed by excuse me by the things in the history and the stuff that's come before and the things that i'm excited about yeah so do you do you cognize like this process that i guess you're describing as pretty physical like what you see and what it is that your hands are doing as being a form of expression in the same way that you were doing before when it was more uh, maybe like less informed like I, because when you described it it didn't sound like expression to me it felt very mechanistic i guess yeah, actually, ooh, there's a huge dog out there. Actually, um, <laughs> sorry, um, I am super, un I'm super like unconcerned with expression. Actually, I could, I could give, I could give two shits what anyone else like, any how anyone else's thoughts or feelings, um, come out in the work. I could, I, I don't care at all about like, um, what someone meant to say by what by what the work is. I yeah. only care about the interpretation. So like how I, it's 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 like. I think it's the way we all actually consume art. It's how does this make me feel? Not how did this right, make right. you feel as you made it? And so as an artist, that's the thing that I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about how I feel. I'm trying to think about how this would make the audience feel. So I think that's actually like what's happening when you consume art, because it's not just like this navel gazy masturbatory thing where it's just about you. Like the second that you put it in front of someone else, then it actually becomes like a conversation and then it actually becomes art. I don't think that art meant it, I don't think that like an artist can make work and not show it to anyone. I think that's only halfway done. I think the last 50% of the work is the, is it the being interpreted engagement. And so that's why it could be so demoralizing to make stuff and no one sees it. Cause it's like, you're only doing half the work. Yeah. It feels incomplete if no one engages with it. Yeah. This approach makes sense to me. Although I think that like the, the difference between you expressing something and being concerned about how other people are going to perceive it is not like entirely split. Like, I feel like in order for you to understand how you might think other people will interpret your art, you have to use your own understanding of like what, what it is that you might be trying to say. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah, totally. You can't, you don't just go into it like with no sense of like how. Yeah. Know, but it's not a focus, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not the end all be all because then what happens is you, it, I mean, that's, I do have a very, I do have a very commercial approach to to visual communication and I'm not a fine artist. I don't, I, and I don't actually ever want to be a fine artist. Like a commercial artist is communicating ideas 
And if you're those ideas that you're communicating aren't received, then you've done, you failed. <laughs> yeah. You might've done a lackluster job at being a communicator. If you're being a fine artist, then it is all about interpretation. It is all about experience. And so it's, it's, it's like, it, it can be more nebulous, but if you're the things that I'm excited about are very co like communicative and kind of require a certain amount of visual clarity and aren't as subjective. So like, I'm really into comics and I'm really, and I actually do kind of like, I, I do kind of like graphic design now. So like those things oftentimes are not about subjective experiences. They're about objective communication. And so that's kind of like what I'm, what I'm uh, dabbling in. And I guess when it comes to subjectivity, there's me, there's always music for that. There's always like other things that I can and will do to communicate less, um, you know, in your face ideas and stuff like that. But, you know, we'll see. Okay. I want to return to before you referenced like a certain hostility to art that you um, experienced in high school. Can you just like elaborate on that? Yeah, totally. Um, now, I didn't have the, I didn't have I didn't experience like I don't know the most toxic masculine type type it wasn't like crazy I, I don't want to I don't I, I do not want to like hyperbolize or like over exaggerate um, to make the story more interesting or to make the people in the story more villainous because that's really not the case it's more boring this way but it's more I think it's more I think it's more responsible and more kind to just kind of like be honest in that it wasn't like crazy or anything yeah but i think that's inter but, like the times when it's harder to identify are probably the times that are maybe more important because people aren't just gonna ha have like a, a you know really blatant disapproval of what's going on like it's more yeah so it wasn't like exactly it so it was normal it wasn't like a right, psychotic yeah. like it wasn't like <laughs> footloose or something but um i i like i grew up in going to church and going to youth group and stuff. And there was actually like a lot of like really cool ways that like masculinity um, was affirmed in a way that was actually like useful, like ideas about responsibility and ideas about using your strength or whatever to like help other people. And um, you know, like the idea of like what a man is for me is not like entirely negative. Like, when I imagine, when I imagine, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, <laughs> no, because like you would think that, like, oh, never forget it. But um, but all, all all that being said, there is there was certainly like certain things and certain ways that people went around in the world that were just like really um, detrimental to like the ability to create art. And I did like to describe it as this: like, it's the difference between saying okay and okay does that make sense yeah that so, that makes sense to me yeah so i usually actually usually judge people based on that like if i say or do something weird and someone replies the way that they reply when they say that because everyone's gonna say okay that's what <laughs> this is how they say but it the way the way they say it is actually very important because one is open and one is like curious and one is more like more naturally affirming and then the other one is shutting you down it's confused it's a little bit more hostile. Um, so I guess like when I think about the environment that I grew up in, there was two, there was two Sean Bays. There was Sean Bay in the room. And then there was Sean Bay, um, I guess just at, outside and Sean Bay in the room. I would play guitar by myself. I would sing by myself. 
I would dance sometimes by myself. Um, I would, I would journal and stuff, whatever. But then Sean Bay outside definitely had to kind of like pretend to be a little bit more reserved, not so genuine. Um, cause if I wasn't being, cause if I was too, I'm a really outgoing extroverted person, but if I put my foot in my mouth, I'd be ridiculed beyond what I could handle as a 15, 16, 17 year old. Um, if I wore or said anything that was like slightly different than what people expected, that was a huge struggle. Like it was so crazy that I wanted to wear like super skinny pants and stuff like that at the time. <laughs> um, and don't get me started on being like the only black person in that environment either, because I definitely didn't really feel like I was at a place with my um, experience of race in this country that I was comfortable with until literally like last year or something. So I was going through, I was going through like adolescence kind of like, you know, having a black dad, white mom raised in the suburbs, going to like private Christian school where I was one of the only black people. And I was one of, I was so many of my friends, only black friend for a long time, mm-hmm. or at least the only black person that they would encounter like regularly. And so having to deal with like feeling like there was a certain way that I had to act because that's the cool way, the masculine way and the black way. So imagine how like frustrating it would be to kind of be a person that needs that, that feels like a desire. My brain operates in two ways and I think everyone's brain is this way. I don't want to, I don't think I'm that special, but my brain operates in two ways and it's either this, it's either one way or the other. There's no mixing. It's a hundred percent of the other it's analytical or it's um, creative. And I totally think that like both have their re- both have their moments of extreme utility like you have the editor brain and the writer brain um my thing is that the editor brain is much easier to get into and the writer brain requires like a really significant um relinquishing of my self con of my self-consciousness of my like embarrassment of my inner critic all these other things you know it's very hard actually for me to let go of and i attribute some of that to this like kind of super competitive weirdly masculine definitely at times like sexually repressed um type of uh type of upbringing and type of um i don't and upbringing is a very is a very um fraught word for me too because it implies that my parents did this my parents didn't do any of this shit um my parents were totally innocent so (laughs) um It's more just like it's more just like the people that I chose to hang around with when I was like at the age where a child starts to choose who they become friends with and who they allow to influence their life outside of their parents. Right. Um, so like there was friends at youth group or or youth pastor or whatever. It's very funny to me that a person my age currently actually younger than me was in charge of me at a time where, you know, at the most important time in my in the development of my adult brain, you know, <laughs> it's so yeah. Crazy. Like you don't feel qualified to do that now. So you're yeah, like, like, how who allowed that to happen? Hu- I can't imagine the hubris in me that would be like, yes, this is, this is like, like, I'm, I'm qualified and ready and able to do this. Yeah. Let me change the trajectory of like all these little adolescents lives. I'm ready. Yeah, so, so that was kind of like a crazy thing that, but that's just youth group experience. That's not special either. Um, anyone who's like heavily involved in youth group in a way that's more than just I go on Wednesday and I go on Sunday or something like that, they know this experience. Um, especially and then also especially if they're like a man, and especially if they're like 
I don't know. I guess that's it. If you're a man who wants a youth group. Um, but yeah, kind of getting married and doing a bunch of moving to New York was a huge thing for me and figuring out like how to just kind of like how to, how to be that, how to figuring out how to be myself again, moving mm-hmm. to New York, getting married, all these things have been really helpful in, in that. So do you think that the, the helpfulness there, I, I guess it's like kind of being framed as an external thing. Like maybe the environment that you're in just has a less like rigid idea of who you're supposed to be. Or would you say that it was more internal? Um, or maybe that dichotomy like doesn't make sense or you don't think of it that way. It's hard to say. Um, I know that it's spiritual. Like I know that. So like, I don't, I, it's funny that I'm wearing that shirt. I'm wearing the shirt that like I got from like a meme page that like is <laughs> hilarious. It's called the meme. The page is like at I need God in my life every day or something like that. That's it, so it, long. I don't, remember, I don't remember. Yeah, I know. It's so funny, but it's this shirt is like a, this shirt is literally just a quote from like a Justin Bieber notes app screenshot. And it says like, God is obsessed with you. And on the back, it has like this whole thing about like pray to God and stuff like that. And I, this shirt would not be funny if I was if I didn't believe in God and stuff. But because I actually <laughs> literally do believe in God, it's way funnier to wear like ironic Christian stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so all so all that being said, like all the things that I'm describing about like how I'm growing and stuff like that, 100%. There's a spiritual link mm-hmm. to being more comfortable with who I am. To be more comfortable with who I am, I believe is to be more comfortable with who, who God made you to be, um, and. A lot of times, the, the there's there's a lot of forces in this world that are uncomfortable with the ways in which God um, works and moves. It's like scary because it's different. So, um, I view Emily, my wife, as like, oh my gosh, she literally just like is okay with who I am. Like that's how God is. Or I get really really enthused about a drawing of a bunny that i'm drawing on like i'm working on a comic that has all like animal characters which mm-hmm. passion bay is like that's just furry shit that's stupid <laughs> but it's literally like it's literally the history of cartoons is talking animals like furries didn't invent that you know yeah so, like i'm working on a i'm working on a comic and i'm like enjoying it so much and i'm like oh like i totally believe that like god is involved in this and is involved in like why I'm so enthused about this. And it's not like God, some bearded guy in the sky. Like I forget where it is exactly, but God is described. Um, hold on. Doing some research for the pod. Yeah. Uh, are we about to get a Bible verse? Literally. Yeah. Um, period. I said to double, I have to double check. So there's a, there's a moment in the book of acts where Paul, um, the book of Acts for people who don't know is like one of the only historical books in the, or one of the, one of the few books in the new Testament that's not strictly about like theology. And it's more about like the history of what actually happened in the early church. And after Jesus says all his stuff and he, and he dips, the book of Acts continues to kind of show like what the 11, formerly 12, what the 11, you know, um, disciples now called apostles, what they start doing and, um, how Paul, who ends up writing a lot of the New Testament, St. Paul, how he kind of like gets worked into the fold because he, his, his whole thing was like, he literally, he murdered Christians and stuff. Like he was super anti. Um, Oh yeah. I forgot about that. He He was like a total hater. Wait, what made him switch up though? Cause he changed his name, right? He encountered, he, what made him, what made him switch, what, yeah. What made him switch it up is that he was on his way to go murder some people. And then 
Jesus Christ like emerged out of like the sky and blinded him with his glory, literally or oh, something. Yeah. I mean, literally, that's what happened. He blinded him or whatever. And then he changes his name to Paul. He has a whole change of heart because, you know, he said like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he was like, oh, shoot, like you're God <laughs> um, because and killing these people in the name of God is is actually like killing God. So anyways, um, he he goes on he goes on all these adventures or whatever. And he goes to this place. I think it's called Mars Hill. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but it's like a it's like a Hellenist Hellenist Greek um, society was what kind of dominated the entirety of the ancient world at the time. And so that meant that the Greek pantheon was kind of like the modus operandi for people and their religious expression and their religious experience. And there was supposed to be, and I could be wrong about any of this. So it's totally fine if you hear what I say here, do your own research and discover that I'm wrong because then you, you learned. But anyways. Um, I love how the onus is like on them. Yeah, totally. 100%. Why? <laughs> this could be wrong. Go read it. Yeah, literally. Look it up. Prove me wrong. Anyways, um, he goes to Mars Hill and they're all, you know, pontificating about about philosophy and stuff like that and there's all these gods there apparently and then then there's apparently a a a statue or something for like the unknown god like they're like just to cover all our bases we're gonna have one that's kind of like for the unknown god or whatever and paul is like the unknown god is god and he describes him as um the ground of all being in whom we live and move and breathe and have our being um so like the idea is that basically everything is God and existence itself is a product of his existence. Mm -hmm. And, and so like anything that you enjoy, I think it's awesome. It's so liberating. Anything that you enjoy, anything that like gives you pleasure that doesn't hurt you, that is like, and anything that you can do for other people and any, all this other stuff, basically like God isn't all that. And so, I don't, I don't like, I don't, um, create, I don't believe in like, there's a, I don't believe that there's a, um, like a dichotomy between physical and spiritual. And so that, and so, and the more I think about like everything I do as like a spiritual practice, the healthier it becomes. So I've really struggled with food. I really struggle with the way I eat and it like bothers me so much, like how I eat and the way that it affects my body and stuff like that. And I always know that when I, like consider what I eat as like a spiritual practice. When I think about how it's my job and my duty to eat in a certain way, to not be wa- that's not wasteful. And that's like, takes care of my body. One, it opens my body up for so many other opportunities where in which I can help people because I'm healthy. And then two, it, um, it helps redefine my um, relationship with consumption in general, which is something that every American needs to do. Um, and that's spiritual practice, the way you eat. So, like, anyways, I, I was I'm saying I'm saying that because like I've been struggling with that since the pandemic. It's so easy to just order takeout like every day. So yeah, yeah. Uh, like I was literally I looked at the, I kill me man because I was looking at the my Instagram archive and it said like one year ago today and I was looking at the picture and I was like so skinny at the beginning of the pandemic and I was like <laughs> dang I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off a building right now. So I'm <laughs> from all the takeout. Yeah, I think um, like especially when you mention food, I think of like the notion. I don't know. I think that nutrition and a lot of things that we do are described as 
like, oh, you have to do this for yourself. Like, this is self-care to eat well. But I guess what you're saying is, like, maybe it's hard to care about things when they're just only about yourself. And you have to add this, there's like, no, spiritual there's almost, layer. There's almost no reason for me to do anything for myself. Yeah. And <laughs> I think I think it's because the things that make me happy are the things that kill me. Like, I'm... I would I would so much rather I would so much rather just like sit around consuming like shit on YouTube all day, um, thinking only for myself, um, not making any sacrifices for like my family or anything, mm-hmm. but like, or my friends even like not being a generous friend, not being emotionally generous to people like it's so much easier and and feels like less effort and less labor to just kind of like sequester myself off in the room. You know, and yeah. whatever, whatever that means. But like, to to exist in a way that isn't just like individual, that actually offers something to like my community, whatever that looks like right now, is actually like a spiritual practice. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. I guess I'm not understanding. So before, when you were talking about how you think that like your your ability i don't remember exactly how you put it but like your ability to help people and like the things that make you happy or the things that you desire are all like to some extent expressions of god or like god is in everything and so like i I don't know if that means that he's motivating your desires but it seems like uh, on the surface a bit contradictory because then now you're saying like oh you're acknowledging that a lot of your desires are actually self-destructive and you have to go out of your way in order to not you know engage in those behaviors um this is let me see if i can find so there's a so that's actually that's actually like that's the crux i think of of what i'm gonna call like the spiritual life but you have to understand that when i talk about spirituality it's definitely like christian spirituality i never Mm want to like pretend that i'm talking about some nebulous type of spirituality especially one that's appropriating eastern spirituality which so many like people love to do in a way that like is so gross like appropriate eastern spirituality but get rid of all of the non-individual parts of it you know what i mean like yeah yeah i hate that i hate that so much it's i think so we've common. talked about that like, before mm. yeah it's the worst thing ever so i'm talking i i so i like straight up will be like i straight up tell people like yeah i'm religious and i like i'm a christian in a way that but i but i try not to say i actually try not to say that i'm a christian i usually just try to say that i'm religious and in the west people usually just assume that means christian and that's great because there's so much cultural baggage and stupidity involved in what people assume rightfully so is the mainline Christian expression, especially in America. Mm-hmm. And so I would so much rather just kind of like not pretend that I have to like, you know, I, I would rather be honest and say like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's so much, I, I don't want to like just shut people out from what I have to say. Cause I want to hear what people have to say. And people are so, so ready to not like let you into what they have to say or think rightfully so. But anyways, um, I, uh, Paul again in Romans says, and I'm taking all these verses out of context. You should never do this, but <laughs> whatever. We're doing it anyway. He talks about how um, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I admit that the law is good, blah, blah, blah. So basically the idea is that like, I want... I know what I want to do. I want to do, I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And instead I do what I hate, which is what's wrong. That's the main, that's the main tension in, in that's the main internal tension in like Christian spirituality is that 
you the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak you want you have these you have these desires but you also have this body and your body is governed by appetite and desire and you're you know so it's like you have the desires of the body and then you have the desires of the mind like the pride and the lust and the things like that actually lust is more of a physical desire but you understand what i'm saying mm-hmm. it's like everything that everything that you say in christianity is um isn't is idealistic that's why you have to have grace that's why there has to be grace involved otherwise um you're either lying or you're delusional or you're manipulative or some crazy or some you know some combination of those things like right you have to so so i think that like what i'm saying like is incredibly dishonest if i don't like also say i fail constantly every day so um yeah that's kind of like that's kind of like what i mean when i talk about like about desire and stuff is that there's it's 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 literally two wolves (laughs) there are two wolves inside of you one of you or really it's it's like a body mind thing or like a body spirit right because like what you're saying is you 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 said like oh i would love to just sit around and like consume things all day but like i don't actually think that's true i think like yeah in the immediate sense that yeah you would you would love to in like a carnal mm-hmm. way i guess but then what you do you live it's essentially it's essentially like who do you live for do you live for yourself or do you live for what this is good. I know this is going to, this to me sounds so crazy, but I, <laughs> I hate, I, and I, it's like, do you, li- I, so, so please understand that if you're listening to this, I understand that it's like, Oh my God, are you serious? Dude, shut the fuck up. It's, do you <laughs> live for yourself or do you live for something outside of yourself? Like, are you living for just what are you living for you? Or are you living for God? <laughs> like, yeah. like, and what I mean is not like, is not like the thing, the thing about it is though that I truly believe that, um, you know, Christ himself, he said, um, what parent, when his child asks for a fish would give him a snake? What parent, when a child asks for bread would give him a stone? Like God wants to give you, God loves you. And he wants you to have a life that is like, exciting and that is full of adventure and that is like fun and that is pleasurable because he made pleasure. Um, so when, when I say like live for God, it's not just like, it's not just like be a fucking asshole who can't have fun and is a loser and who's <laughs> judgmental and who's yeah, judgmental yeah. and a dick. It's like, it's the full, it's like living out the Christ also said this, I've come so that they would have life and life in abundance, like to have the fullest life possible. Um, that's kind of like what I'm at, what I, what I desire. And I believe like, I believe that, that feel theologically, that's what God desires for us. So, um, I also and so in my own in my own observation and in my own experience, it usually comes when I make little decisions towards others, make little little decisions to prime myself towards physical health, make little decisions like that. Like it just is always better. Yeah. And and it always kind of feels like that's more right. So and I guess the idea is basically but it's against the grain for sure. It's against the grain of your own of your own like the way that you naturally operate. Yeah. But then the idea is that in pursuit of this like life for God, you you sort of end up realizing that when you try to do this, it actually ends up also being the best and most fulfilling way for you to live your your own life. And it also is the way in which I um it it also helps me. It also makes me feel like I'm or at least how do I say this? I also believe that it's the 
the best way for me to live in community. Like if it made me more of a, if it made me more of an isolated person, more individual, more consumed with being an individual, more, more concerned with being an individual, you know, the great, I think that's the great idolatry of, of course it's the great idolatry of Western society is that the individual is everything. Mm-hmm. Um, if it made me more of an individual then screw everything I'm saying, but I, but it challenges me all the time to like be more, um, I guess, yeah, just more concerned with, with other people and what more open to experiences with other people and experiences with strangers and stuff like that. Oh God. But (laughs) yeah, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I feel like we, we started talking about, we just naturally kind of covered like multiple different things we were planning to talk about by just going through the narrative um, of like your art and I don't know, ended up talking about religion, but we haven't talked explicitly about metaphysics, which you also, listed so like i put that on i put that on there but i have literally no idea what it is okay i I know that it's just the idea i know that (laughs) i know that i I don't know that it's the idea that basically the material world is is not everything but you know whatever who gives a shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not i'm not like particularly equipped to discuss metaphysics either but like yeah i mean i'm taking a class on it next semester so we can do it that's so exciting Yeah. yeah If we, yeah, we can do a, we'll do a exclusive metaphysics episode. Um, but I'm, I am wondering because like you were tweeting about this and then I was saying, oh, there might be a way that metaphysics can intersect with your art. Because I guess one part of metaphysics that I find most interesting, and again, I do not have like, I've never taken a metaphysics class or honestly probably even like read a book about metaphysics, but like ontology is like the study of how we can categorize things. Like, mm-hmm. how is it that you can label this as one thing and that we can understand this to be this, but like physically these are two different objects, but we call them the same thing. So it's about like categorization. And then there's like, I guess most people's intro to metaphysics and ontology is like Plato's forms where Plato thinks that there are these like idealized forms that actually exist um, that are like truer than, than the world that we live in because they're permanent and idealized. But I'm wondering, like, if there is, does any part of your art feel like it um, ever incorporates, like, metaphysical ideals um, yet? Or just, like, is that just, like, something that you're waiting for or hoping for? Yeah, it's definitely superficial right now, if anything. Like, so, it's it's hard for me to talk about my art because, like I said, I've made nothing in the past. <laughs> like, it feels like I've made nothing because... I really am so super unconcerned with making a picture. Like to me, drawing a picture is nothing. It's worthless. But if that picture, and that's the reason why I love comics is because it's the pictures, which I feel like are nothing turn into something greater. Like they're greater than the sum of the parts because it turns into a story. I think a story is like very cool and a picture is stupid. So the pictures together is the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that being said, some of the stories that I'm writing in involve definitely like you know cosmic because the thing is like i could just say like oh yeah there's a psychedelic element to this and there's this you know cosmic horror and then then there's this lovecraftian thing but to me that's all superficial that's just oh cool you saw something that you liked and that was weird and so you're gonna call it metaphysics to kind of like make it seem more legitimate or something that's why i'm hoping that taking a class on it actually will do a little bit more to inform actually what it means for something to be metaphysical like for something to truly be like spiritual Mm -hmm. um but i i do i definitely am just interested in stories that challenge 
um, and, and understanding that the material is everything because that's my greatest internal, that's one of my great internal struggles in my faith is that, is that it even exists. Um, I don't believe that my faith was something that I chose. Um, I believe that through the, you know, the, 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 the lottery of, of, of existence and that I was born in America and I was born to parents that believe a certain thing that I inherited this, this faith as almost like a birthright. And now it's my job to kind of like wrestle with it for the rest of my life. Um, I can never, I could never honestly reject it. Um, and so what that means is now whenever I feel like, uh, whenever I sit down and I, something, something inspires me to pray, for example, dealing with feeling like a fucking idiot and just doing it is a huge pride thing. Um, to acknowledge that there's something beyond the physical is a huge point of pride is a huge like pride thing for me that I have to, that I, I do, tr I do truly believe that I have to kind of like learn over the, you know, the next few decades of my life to lay down because it'll make me m just like in general, like a better person in order to, it'll, it'll, it'll just be good. It'll be better to not have so much tension constantly in my, um, in my worldview because my worldview is informed by this supernatural metaphysical idea. Um, but it's also extremely informed by material, the material world, people's material conditions. Like I don't care about converting someone to Christianity more than I care about putting like, get, making sure that their insulin is free. Like that to <laughs> me, is, that to me is equally, if not more important, like, I would so much rather serve everyone's physical needs and then tell them why I did it than just tell them that they need to like, you know, be saved in order to, in, you know, and not address it. It's literally, again, in scripture, it's, uh, woe to you who say peace, peace when there is no peace. Or like, I think that in the book of James, it talks about, um, it talks about someone asking for bread and saying like, God bless you is like a curse or something like that. So, um, yeah, I'm super concerned with the material world, but I can't ignore the the super material world or the, you know, the spiritual world. So that's why the metaphysics thing is cool and important. And also, um, I really kind of am enthused with the apophatic. So apophatic experiences are encounters with God that can't be articulated in language. Um, that's a very metaphysical idea. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it's something that is not really talked about a lot in Western church circles because it's hard to systematize because a lot of Western theology is systematic in nature in that you have certain rules and certain like certain ideas that um, come from a certain analysis of scripture or of church practice and tradition that um, kind of build out a way of being. That's what denominations are. Like this denomination believes that the system looks like XYZ, this denomination believes the system looks like one, two, three, this denomination looks like the system looks like ABC, whatever. So apophatic an apophatic mystic is a person that um can routinely kind of like encounter that can that has encountered God in a way that they can't describe, but that was profoundly um meaningful in the in the experience. And um I've never experienced that. I think it'd be interesting, but at the same time I'm super interested in like a hyper Pentecostal, like should about a hundred, but I'm Mitsubishi speaking in tongues, like goofy, <laughs> goofy ass. Like I'm not interested in that at all. I want something different, you know? 
and so um that's 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 why i like want to be open to like the metaphysical and the idea of the physical and the spiritual interacting you know yeah but i mean that that in itself is you know like i think the the delineation between a physical and spiritual entity is itself a metaphysical claim or like an intuition that you have so yeah i don't know i feel like it is interesting because i think the this what you are thinking of as two maybe like competing ideas might actually be unified by a certain metaphysical belief i think um like natural theology is basically like the practice of trying to establish whether or not like these spiritual or religious things can be appropriately addressed as if they are physical like whether or not they are physical but we just don't really understand that in the right way i could be totally fucking wrong like i said my exposure to this is not great um or there are there are, is a significant number of people who think that there just like is no distinction between these things and that like the things that we think are spiritual are actually physical right yeah i mean i'm open to that but at the same time like i yeah i actually like i think perhaps like when i'm an old man that's the goal is to believe that <laughs> the goal is to so <laughs> you want to get there <laughs> awesome and cryptic and old like yoda that that's what i want to be so yeah it's like something that people have really theories about but it's so hard to understand angst. it that way yeah no 100 percent. it's very difficult um oh you said something earlier when you were talking about the fact that you were building a church um and then you were saying as soon as you said that you had started a church with someone else i was like oh that's so entrepreneurial like what a hustler and then you ended up saying like <laughs> i hate these the pattern that i identify with the way that like churches promote themselves and the way that capital operates so i'm wondering if you can say more about that yeah i actually love this so the reason why i mean there's a lot of there's actually a handful of reasons why christ was put on the cross but one incredibly important one is very material in that he presented a paradigm that was so dangerous to the um to the roman empire that he had to be executed like he presented he presented a kingdom that was so subversive to the current to the current culture um that was revolutionary um the church in oh, when was it um hold on i'm gonna double check okay we're going for historical accuracy here constantine um was a he was a he was the um, emperor at constantine um i want to say it's an, i want to say it was like around like like 300 ad but yeah so in the 300s constantine um actually actually kind of makes christianity the official religion of the roman empire at the time this was kind of like viewed as um for some like th like the greatest the greatest moment in christianity because christians were no longer like a, a like a um persecuted like cult that emerged out of judaism but it was now like the not just an not just like a officially sanctioned religion but the officially sanctioned religion mm -hmm. however there were certain group of people they're called the desert fathers and mothers who realized that this was christianity in bed with power in bed with empire and so they um kind of like fled into the desert and preserved a way of Christianity that was not involved in the machinations and patterns of the world. And so, um, but the thing is that, that Christianity that was, that became, you know, 
the that became the official religion of the Roman Empire, it grew into the Catholic Church, lower lowercase Catholic, which just means universal. The the Holy Cat the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, you know, is different than just ca- Catholic as a adjective. Yeah, so like, universal. Okay. So that became that becomes the Catholic Church, which, you know, then the Roman Catholic Church emerges out of the Church, and then, um, the Protestant revolution, the Protestant whatever it's called, the revolution. It's not a revolution, but I don't know. Protestantism, you know, emerges in Germany out of that. Um, Anglicanism emerges in England out of that. Um, then, excuse me, all of the most psychotic people in the entire, <laughs> in the entirety of Protestantism decide we can't be Protestant enough. Let's move to, to an- the other side of the world. That becomes, you know, America. <laughs> Big yikes. So, so um, but... Um, Christianity has ever since Constantine has historically um, been in the halls of power in a way that I think is actually antithetical to, to the, to the, to the faith. Mm -hmm. Um, It's extremely clear how you can see um, the institution of the church be used um, to promote suffering and to promote injustice, which is not the way that Christ established um, Christ established a church that was so again, so radical that, he was killed by the government. So um, when I talk about a Christianity that is that is countercultural, I actually am super in, not into that. I don't believe that Christianity should just be countercultural because what that sort of means in church circles or whatever is using all the same devices that are used by the world for Christ. I think that's total bullshit. And in reality, I think that the church needs to truly actually be subversive in a way that is frustrating to the people that are in it because it's like we should just aren't we need to grow our church and like i have a friend who for example he's a priest and his name's paul he lives in oklahoma and his church is shrinking um like his church is like they're moving to a smaller building they have less people going and i'm like and i'm like so i I, you know it was a bit of a test but i asked him like what do you think about that is that like do you feel like your church is failing he's like no of course not like our job is not to grow grow in numbers. Our job is to serve the people, and he means our job as as priests, is to serve the people that want to be here and to like be a resource for them and to be and to help facilitate community for them and to help them increase their imagination of the divine. That's our only job. It's not about numbers. To me, that's such a subversive vision because mm-hmm. it's not because like what vi- you would, you would experience very few churches that would call that success in America. You know. Um, of, of any size, um, the ones probably that would call it success, you haven't heard of because they're not concerned with notoriety. Right. Um, they're just concerned with being a resource for their, for their immediate neighborhood or whatever. And so that's at the time was not my attitude. Um, my, my attitude was, was like, I, I, when I was in Montana at that church, but before I came back, it was literally a mega church. Like it was the type of church that is like, really popular in that they play you know their aesthetic is at least a couple years old like it's definitely not cutting edge but it um takes on like a lot of what was cutting edge a few years ago um the music is that ccm music which is this worst version of celine dion um (laughs) and uh yeah and everyone's kind of like really enthused about the ways in which they're seeing their church become quote unquote more effective and it's usually just ways that you can quantify with numbers and uh and it's ways that and it's and it's all marked and there is marketing involved and 
um, it's less and less about, I mean, it definitely does have, I'm not going to be totally like anti, like there are ways in which like they do serve the people that attend and the way that people attend are resourced mm-hmm. um, and people who attend do seek some value from that. But I think that there's so much more that can be done in so much more challenging ways that, um, that, that don't fit in that model. And that probably actually aren't like monetarily sustainable, but literally require that you trust God <laughs> and that you trust that like, while flowers don't toil and birds don't worry about where they're going to get their next meal. Similarly, the church is not going to worry about that. We're literally just going to do what God has asked us to do, which is like all the things that I've laid out. So, um, yeah, when I started the church, it was like, I didn't have a framework for what a church, how a church should, should behave or quote unquote perform. Um, that wasn't, that wasn't anything but just capitalism. Um, so, yeah i think that's kind of it yeah that makes sense and it kind of sounds like you maybe don't view evangelism as something that you should like explicitly or directly pursue but rather it's just something that will happen if you embody these like other ideas about like pursuing god or like living for god i actually think evangelism is a total waste of time um in its in its more in its more popular form like it's just marketing so I think I think that I think that anytime anyone ever engages in a debate with someone, total idiot. Um, anytime, like if if you if especially if you're the one who's like the Christian who's trying to start the debate, like if you're trying, anytime anyone is trying to bring someone to an intellectual understanding of God who doesn't who hasn't already experienced him or who isn't interested in or open to the experience, you're totally wasting your time. The best thing you should and could do is to like use your influence or whatever your pull to um provide physical resources for people that don't have them so like i'm really enthused that the church that i currently go to like one of the only things we do especially through the pandemic is we have a food pantry on saturdays like i haven't actually been to it or whatever but i know that it exists i know that like the tithing money and stuff for example goes towards like a food pantry Mm -hmm. and like they don't do anything there except give people food. And if you want, you could come to church the next day or something like that, but like does not matter. It's not about like, there's, there's basically, there's basically no intellectual rigor involved in like involved in like, um, being at this church, like it's, or being, or encountering this church, excuse me. It has nothing to do with any type of intellectual, anything. It's mm-hmm. literally just like, Helping Hey, people. we actually just feel compelled. We feel compelled by God to like use whatever resources we can to help you. That's what I think. That's evangelism to me, and I think it's way more effective than, like, here's uh, you know, there's this thing called the Roman Road, which is like take going through the Book of Romans, and like, talking about. So this is total depravity, and this is blah blah blah, and then this is this, and then this is, a subs- penal substitutionary atonement, and then this is grace, and then this is this, and this is that. It's like, you could go ahead and walk someone through that, I guess, if they have. But why would you do that when you could just be their friend and just be normal, literally? The best evangelism, in my opinion, is be normal. <laughs> like, and then if someone asks you a question, sure, have an answer or something like that. Um, better be an honest answer. It better not be like a you know a system of of a, a list of reasons or something. Forget that. Um, but yeah, I just don't care about. I don't care about proselytization. I don't care about preachiness. I think it's actually super counterproductive. I think that like the only thing that matters is like living a life that is attractive because 
you're healthy, being healthy, and then and spir- spiritually, physically, as much as you can, emotionally, mentally, as much as you can, doing everything you can to ensure that you stay healthy. So like, yes, see a therapist. Yes, go to the gym. Yes, whatever. Um, but then also just kind of like being, being normal, enjoying life. Um, <laughs> it's when you, <laughs> yeah, like, like just that's be what popping. I aspire to. It's just right. that's what I aspire to. And then if anyone wants, to, and then if someone's like, if if a conversation for some reason about religion or spirituality comes up, just being like, yeah, I'm 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 religious. Like I literally do love Jesus. Like, um, <laughs> <laughs> like you know, whatever. I think it's okay. I'm not trying to, you know, whatever. So. Yeah, I feel like that. I don't know. That's something that I'm very unfamiliar with, as you can tell by the episode with Isaac. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely like a new approach. But let's and you and what's and what's so fucking new, frustrating but... is that that you being unfamiliar with that type of person is so normal because yeah, because Christ, Christianity Christianity in this country is like so warped and disgusting. Obviously, who doesn't know that? That's not like a that's not, <laughs> it's like that's a, a profound the hottest thing. take we've ever had on Umfcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you make this is do you make a distinction between like? the institution of religion and and religion like do you think that that is a useful no i don't think it's useful at all because it implies that it implies that because the institution is the communal part and then the religion part is the individual part and the and i've said i've I've said a couple of times the most frustrating part about being a christian the most frustrating part about being a christian internally were some of the things that i've talked about The, the none of that pales at all in comparison to the absolutely most frustrating part about being a christian the communal aspect the church itself that means that it's like the people you go to church with or whatever but then even the assholes that you see on tv who you're am i actually like am like i know that there's going to be a time where in which there's going to be certain people that said you know like lord lord and christ would say like i i never knew you like who are you you know essentially you did all this we did all this stuff we prophesied in your name and Christ will say, like, I never knew you. Like, that's that's a thing that's talked about in Scripture, basically. Um, it's that, you know, like, the idea is that you your performative religion, your virtue signaling is all bullshit. Like, Christ isn't concerned with that. Um, but I guess people, like, don't read the Bible. They don't know that. So um, I'm forced to, like, I'm forced to constantly be like, oh, my freaking God, is, like, Tucker Carlson my, my – am I am – I, is he my brother? Like in in faith and religion, and I mean, what sucks? What sucks is that your enemy is your brother, no matter who they are, um, which is a really frustrating part about Christianity. But um, it's frustr- it's frustrating to like be a Christian in in America, where it's the monoculture and the and power, all kind of like a pseudo Christian. Um, a lot of people have talked about Christendom ending. Christendom is this idea. It's this. It's Christendom is the. Christendom began with Constantine. It's this idea that you know the the, the power the you know the center of power in, in the in the world or whatever is a uh, Christian in name, and people have talked about the end of Christendom, kind of you know the end of the 20th century, kind of more and more people the the secularization of the world increasing increasing more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Some people have talked about it in the Christian circles. Some people have talked about it in Christian circles as a a negative thing, as a thing to fear, as a thing to be worried about. Um, I'm actually super enthused by the secularization of the world. I think that it's so much, I think that it brings us to, it'll bring us to a place where more and more Christians are either forced to 
um, adapts to a faith and a lifestyle that's more like the desert fathers and mothers, and that's less like uh, Westboro Baptist Church or whatever. <laughs> um, like they'll just be forced to because it's not going to be, it's not going to be like easy or normal to be um, some like bullshit suburban Fox News watcher and also be a Christian. Like, I think that I think that a time is coming where it, it will either be less, in, it'll be harder. Or you just won't have the cultural pressure to call yourself a Christian ever. That would be super sick. Is if like, is if all Christian institutions lost all influence. That would be so awesome because then the church, the church would still exist without question. The church will always exist until Christ returns. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> but uh, the church will truly be forced to adopt a posture of service and adopt a posture of like of subversion and not just like do the same things as everyone else and not be super concerned with influence and not be super concerned with celebrity and things like that. Um, that would be very cool to me, but I don't think that will, I don't think that will happen. Not in our lifetime or not ever. Um, I, I, it's hard. It's really hard to see an end to capitalism. It's also really hard to see an end of, of like, uh, an end of the, you know, I'm I'm quoting Mark Fisher when he says, you know, it's easier to it's easier to understand or it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. And similarly for me, it's easier to to it's easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of like Hillsong Church or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, what you're saying is kind of that that's that is the same thing. Like I would, yeah, a, they a, go a hand in hand. Would, everything everything about the world is the exact same. Capitalism, all this other bullshit. But there isn't like this fake Christian sh- smear over the entirety of of Western of the Western world. We so sick. I think then I think then the church could do some like actual awesome stuff. But until then, all these resources are getting poured into like freaking seven hundred club bullshit. So. Period. So we've been going for long enough that this is like an entire episode, but we have to cover our oomph origin story. Um, mm. For Oomphcast tradition. Sure. So this is, I mean, it's probably because of Brandon Wardell, right? One time I followed this guy named Matt who a couple people I followed followed. That was it. Oh, that's it? Okay. I don't know like how, yeah, we don't know where, how it all like happened. I followed Matt because, you know, I think Robesman followed you or something. Oh, yeah. No, he did. (laughs) (laughs) You were like, oh, he must be cool. (laughs) Because <laughs> of Robesman. This must have been like 2014 or something. Wait, when? It must have been like 2014 or something. Damn, okay. I didn't know. I still lived in California, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, n- wait. Yeah, I actually don't know. Because like we didn't really start interacting until probably quite a time after that. I didn't follow. I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't interact with you until the toothbrush video. Yeah, so, and that was... Oh, wait, no, that was like 2015. So... Yeah, that was the first time I started interacting. Oh no, 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 that, that was 2019. I'm, that. I'm dumb. I was thinking I graduated high school in 2014, not college. So that was that would have been 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I followed you. I followed you for a while before that, and then the, the toothbrush video dropped, and I was like, this is so crazy. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah, there's like not there's like not too much to that because we never like met. I mean, we met on Twitter before we met in in person, and then when I moved to yeah. New York, then we met. Because we're in the same place, obviously. Okay, so 
Everyone that's listening to this knows you're Sean Bay on Twitter. Is there anywhere else that they can visit you? SeanBay.com. Yeah, I'm just Sean Bay everywhere. I've gotten it really, um, I've gotten it for all the main stuff. It's very consistent. So yeah, whatever. Um, sent, I, um, I was going to say that I want, I want people to send me instrumental music because I'm working on some playlists for my Spotify thing, like instrumental music that I can listen to when I write and they're public. So I can like, if you wanted to, you could listen to them too. And there's four genres currently. One is like psychedelic. One is drinking a hot drink on a quiet morning with no plans until 2 p.m. One is cyberpunk and one is feeling tender. So if anyone wants to send me like, I I prefer albums of instrumental music to just individual songs, but individual songs is fine. Um, Just kind of like look through the playlist on my Spotify maybe. And then if you see something that fits in, just like send it to me. I don't care how you send it to me, but yeah, that'd be great. Amazing. Do you ever like just scroll to the bottom of the playlist and then it recommends all that stuff and then you can just either add it or get rid of it. You can get like actually really good recommendations by doing that. I should maybe sit down with Spotify more. I don't really ever do that. I don't like Spotify because it never shows me new stuff. It always shows me just you've listened to this before. Yeah. To it. And it's like, yeah, that's definitely a problem. I would say that's worse with other music like platforms, like streaming platforms. But mm-hmm. yeah, you, if you go to, scroll to the bottom of the playlist, it will recommend stuff. And usually those recommendations are pretty good. But yeah, it will be a lot of things that you've already encountered. But okay, cool. also other people out there send Sean Bay music. Okay, cool. Yeah. <gasps> Peace. See ya.